I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this milestone episode of The Scoop Podcast. This is Scoop Podcast episode number 400. Milestone only by number. We like to celebrate big round numbers. Well, here we are. Episode 400. We've been doing this podcast since April of 2016. So six plus years. They've yet to tell us otherwise, right? They haven't kicked us out of the studio. Not like there's a whole lot of, hey, good job feedback, but no news is good news. So until they tell me otherwise, we'll continue to pump out episodes. I have returned to the Joe Sutre studio, the Taj Mahal of podcast studio. So maybe that's something different about this milestone episode. Oftentimes, thanks to producer AJ. AJ is a rock star. This episode, many episodes will never happen, never at least get posted without AJ's doing. So I cannot do this podcast without the assistance of AJ from Score North. So oftentimes I'm doing podcasts from home, but when I have the opportunity, nicer microphone, nicer equipment, hey, why not do it here in studio? So here I am on Friday night, the 14th of October. The year is 2022. Again, episode number 400. Nothing special about this particular episode. We'll continue the theme of I'll empty out my figurative notebook. Then we will get to conversations. Episode 401, which we'll post sometime this weekend. Maybe a few notes on the Wolves, but mostly conversations. Wolves owner Glenn Taylor and ESPN's Brian Windhorst heading into Wednesday night. The Wolves opener against OKC. So episode 401, which should post at some point before the weekend is over, will be Wolves-centric. Here on this podcast, we'll bounce all around. All right, in no particular order. You know what, though? Let's start with a note that is something I've not been able to present in my six plus years of doing this podcast. The Gophers men's basketball team in a position to land a five star recruit. So, head coach Ben Johnson, assistant coach Marcus Jenkins, they went to California for a final pitch to center Dennis Evans on Thursday. TCU also had a presence in California, had a presence with Evans on Thursday. It seemingly is down to the Gophers and TCU, although somebody with the Gophers did caution me, hey, like we feel optimistic today, way more optimistic today than they did a few days ago following this most recent visit, and the Gophers are trying hard. They are doing everything in their power to land Dennis Evans, but there still is this fear factor of Kansas swooping in at the last minute or a midnight cash flow NIL money opportunities from TCU. If Evans is about short-term financial gain, he can make more money signing with TCU than coming here to Minnesota. If he's thinking more long-term, playing with his good buddy Hardy, the Gophers guard, thinking about the Big Ten stage, trying to be a high NBA draft pick, whether that's 2024 or 2025, this place would offer, in all likelihood, we can debate it, but a better opportunity in that regard, long-term money, than TCU. But I can tell you, as I sit here on Friday night, that the Gophers feel optimistic that on Monday they will get the good news that Dennis Evans will wear maroon and gold. The buzz from Colorado Springs last weekend 
I was back and forth with Matt Babcock, some others that were in Colorado Springs. Dennis Evans had a good run with USA Basketball last weekend. Also, quietly, he really wasn't talking about TCU. I'm told the Gophers did come up, but not necessarily TCU. So, recruiting is always fluid, right? There was a while where we thought Nolan Winter of Lakeville North would be a Gopher. It shifted, right? Real time, things can change. Also, kudos to 247, 24-7. They've been on top of the Dennis Evans info for a while. Ryan James and company do a rock star job. But I can tell you my information is the Gophers feel pretty darn good about their chances to land Evans come Monday. The Gophers men's basketball team has a secret scrimmage against Colorado State a week from Saturday. October 22nd is the date at Williams Arena. Closed to the media, closed to the public. The Brooklyn Nets and Denver Nuggets have been through to Gophers men's basketball practices, keeping an eye on Dawson Garcia, Jamison Battle. Other NBA teams have reached out to the Gophers, seeking out their practice schedule, and certainly at a number of their games, many NBA teams will have representation at least come through once or twice. If you recall, after Dawson Garcia's freshman year at Marquette, he was invited to the G League Combine in Chicago. He played well. There were a number of NBA teams that requested he get advanced up to the conventional Combine. He didn't. There were a couple other guys in front of him in terms of vote-getters, but he impressed a number of NBA scouts after his freshman year at Marquette. Then last year, played a little bit for North Carolina. Had a couple really good games in the non-conference portion of the Tar Heel schedule. Then some hiccups, all sorts of different things, which we've chronicled before on this podcast. In fact, when we had Dawson Garcia on an episode over the summer, way back in April, I guess late April, early May in the spring, when he committed to the Gophers, there were a lot of factors, including some personal stuff, why he had to leave the North Carolina basketball team. But I know he is very happy being in maroon and gold. Ben Johnson and company are very, very happy to have him. He should be one of the better players this year in the Big Ten. The Twins will make Carlos Correa a long-term offer. They've already had discussions with his representation. The question is this, how fair will that offer be and will there be a counteroffer? I imagine in all likelihood there will be. A reminder because I'm still seeing this out there from some fans The Twins cannot offer Correa a qualifying offer. The Astros already did that. You can't do that a second time. So if Correa leaves, the Twins will not recoup a draft pick. The Twins' best outfield prospect, Emmanuel Rodriguez, is four months past his knee surgery date. He is now back home in the Dominican after the hurricane hit Fort Myers. He was rehabbing in Fort Myers. He is finishing his rehab at the Twins Academy in the Dominican. Everything pushing forward for him to be good come next February, March, if things ramp up in January. He's not a 2023 big leaguer, but everybody I've talked to says this kid will eventually be in the big leagues. He is the real deal. The best Twins outfield prospect. Know the name, Emmanuel Rodriguez. Devin Smeltzer is looking forward to a fresh start. He elected free agency this week after being outrighted off the 40-man roster Bottom line, the Twins would have been plenty happy if he wanted to remain in the organization, but he is ready for a fresh start. He is ready to move on. So Devin Smeltzer, not expected back with the Twins. The Wolves are not close on any extensions when thinking about D'Angelo Russell, Jalen Noel, Nas Reed. Monday is not the deadline. Like Monday is a deadline, 
for some guys to sign extensions, not those three. So if the Wolves wanted to extend one of those guys in the middle of the winter, they could. But really, what's the incentive? I mean, this close to unrestricted free agency, why not get to July of 2023? I can see both Garza and Dozier helping eventually. I'm talking Wolves, not Twins, not Matt Garza, not Brian Dozier. Luca Garza, PJ Dozier, meaning eventually on a contract better than in Exhibit 10. Luca Garza has impressed the Wolves a lot. I'm told Alexander Madison should play Sunday at Miami. He's missed some practice time this week with a shoulder issue. DJ Wanham has been sick for over a day, so we truly won't know on his status until sometime on Saturday. Let's see how he's feeling when he wakes up on Saturday. The NFL trade deadline is November 1st. Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, the Vikings GM, literally wouldn't be doing his job if he wasn't on the phone. The Vikings never showed any interest in former gopher Max Williams of Waconia. He is now back with the Arizona Cardinals on their practice squad. But yeah, the Vikings, that was a question I was asked. Hey, after the Arizona Cardinals made the move on Max, after he was on the open market, just the Vikings were never interested. Underrated Miami Dolphins injury, undrafted free agent rookie corner, Cater Kohu. So according to Pro Football Focus, He is rated very high. So even though he's only a rookie and undrafted, he has been very good. He is listed as doubtful for Sunday with an oblique injury. And when already down Byron Jones, Xavier Howard is back, but is he 100% a groin issue for Howard? An easy injury to re-aggravate, but figure he'll see Justin Jefferson plenty. Teron Armstead, stud left tackle, questionable for Miami. Toe injury, he did not practice all week. Miami already down going back weeks. It's starting right tackle. So it's possible Miami's starting left tackle and starting right tackle will not play on Sunday. It is trending positively for running back Raheem Mostert. He's listed as questionable with a knee injury. I can tell you the Vikings do believe Mostert will play. Mo Ibrahim is good to go for the Gophers Saturday at Illinois. The Gophers have been preparing all week as if Tommy DeVito, Illinois' starting quarterback, will play. It's an ankle injury, but something to keep in mind. After this game on Saturday, Illinois has its bye week, so you could give DeVito that extra week. But I'm telling you, DeVito, the transfer from Syracuse, he can play. Illinois' backup quarterback, not so good. Literally could be the difference between the Gophers winning on Saturday and losing. So something we'll have to wait and see on Saturday morning what the news officially is. But I can tell you the Gophers have been preparing as if DeVito will play. McKinley Wright, Champlain Park High School, former Iowa Wolf, had a cup of coffee in some Wolves games last year. He is in a position to land a two-way contract from the Dallas Mavericks. He has really impressed them. My buddy Sean Sweeney on the Mavs staff. Lots of good feedback about how McKinley has looked in Mavs camp slash the preseason. All right, let's now get to conversations. Let's begin with Twins President of Operations, Derek Falvey. He held court with a few of us on Monday for a while. I'll give him credit. I sat in with the writers, didn't ask any questions because I knew I was getting Derek for a few minutes afterwards, but he sat in with the writers for 85 minutes. To his credit, to the Twins PR credit, 
They never cut him off. He then spent some time with Channel 4, Channel 9, and me for Channel 5. He gave two hours of his time on Monday to doing interviews. Even if you feel like, hey, there's some word salad there, that he says a lot of words without really saying a whole lot, I give Derek Falvey credit for not once saying, hey, Uncle Mercy, get me out of here. Like, I've tried to get Quasi Adolfo Mensa for a TV interview for the podcast, right? Also, and he is not doing any interviews in season. Now, that's not that much different from a lot of GMs. And if the Vikings make a trade with the deadline in early November, sure, Quasi will then be made available. But as it sits right now, there are no plans for Quasi Adolfo Mensa of the Vikings to do any interviews in season. Yes, right after the season. Yes, leading up to the draft. Yes, post draft come next spring but right now in season the Vikings GM is not doing any interviews and I get it different animal NFL compared to Major League Baseball but again kudos to Derek Falvey for giving us two hours of his time all right here's my conversation with twins boss Derek Falvey Derek let's start with the narrative you touched on in there that you say there's this narrative out there, and I think you're speaking to some truth that, you know, like you, others in the front office control some of these pitching changes, lineup construction. Just here's your chance to speak to that, that narrative that does exist, at least with some fans, probably some media as well. Yeah, I, I recognize that's a narrative around the game is what I was referring to to some degree, and for us personally. I can tell you, never made a pitching decision and never made a lot of it in my life, you know, so it's not going to start, it's not going to start next year. It hasn't happened before uh, in all the time I've been here. But I recognize there's a lot more connection between front office and dugout than people have ever seen, right? It, it used to be that you pick the team and you put them down there and no one ever went into the clubhouse and that environment. In really good environments now, everyone's a partner. In the same way that I ask Rocco for thoughts on scouting and player development and what we're doing in other spaces outside of the major league team. If you have good leaders around, you want to bounce some ideas off back and forth. In our environment, any decision that gets made in game is the coaching staff's decision. Rocco takes input from other staff members, you know, from pitching coach, hitting coach, and other members. Uh, at the end of the day, that's how we operate, and we'll continue to operate that way, uh, despite what maybe some people think happens uh, along the way. There's no buzzer in my uh, my office upstairs, that's for sure. <laughs> How much of the last two years aged you? Oh gosh, uh, between the last two to three, right, for all of us in the world, right? dealing with uh, the COVID realities of, of 2020 and navigating that season and then 2021, 22, uh, probably more so than I, I care to admit. Uh, I don't want to go look back at pictures from three years ago now. It's, I, I, I can tell you, I know every fan, I know everyone who walks through here is a diehard Twins fan and I do my job for them every day, you know, because there's nothing more special than seeing a fan loving what we're doing on the field and when we haven't performed up to what we want and our expectations I take it personally and quite frankly I struggle with it and so there are nights where I don't sleep and otherwise and the only thing you can do is how you respond how you get back to it how you get back to the drawing board how you make it better and I can tell you that everyone within our group from the day the season ended maybe we took a day to catch our breath for a minute we've gone back to work to try and figure out to make 23 better okay well part of that figuring out how to make 23 better like what's the balancing act of okay injuries are part of sure. the 22 story for some people they might say it's the whole story how do you balance though okay the bad base running the lack of clutch hitting bullpen management right it wasn't like i'm just telling you for me derek Absolutely. it wasn't just injuries 
No doubt. And I would say, I'm not going to sit here and say it was just injuries. Did we lose a lot of our uh, core to the, to the injured list over the course of the year? No doubt about it. Now, in some of those cases, was it uh, a broken thumb or a torn ligament, bad luck, right? Those things happen. What can we do from a preventability standpoint to make it better on the other side for guys that can maybe stay on the field a little bit longer so we do have our core? But to your point, we have to be introspective. We have to look at what everyone can do better from a coach to the front office to the medical staff to the to strength and conditioning group to our analysts to the scouts to player development there isn't anybody in our organization i'm not challenging today to find a way to be better to get better and to make this team better because we need to run the bases better we need to hit in those spots better we need to pitch better in those big moments as well all of that's part of the equation so we can be better next year so september 4th you were tied for the division lead september 23rd 19 days you lost 10 games in the standings Derek, I don't know if that's ever happened in the history of the sport, not that I've reached out to Elias or <laughs> ESPN Sports and Info, but like, that is unheard of. And I get it, a lot of it was, look at the lineups you guys were trotting sure. out, some of those guys that were in those lineups, but like, that's unheard of over 19 days to lose 10 games in the standings. And some of it, by the way, was Cleveland was playing at such a high level. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I look at it this way, twofold. We didn't play the way we should have played during that time. We certainly didn't have our full complement of players during that stretch. Got to give Cleveland a ton of credit. I don't want to run from that. I think they went 16-2 and two over an 18-game stretch at one point, and we didn't play well at the same time. That's, that's a bad combination for the Minnesota Twins. So at the end of the day, credit them for what they did and what they earned at the, at the end of it all. We need to figure out how we navigate that better as we go through the next couple of seasons for sure. All right, on Michael Salazar, how much of it is optics? Like we had to do something. We have to show the fan base that we did something versus okay, there definitely are some things that he could have done differently, and that's why we ultimately had to had to make a move. Yeah, I want to be clear on that part, that I recognize optics play a role in professional sports all the time. I will tell you, as I sit here today, we don't make decisions for that reason. You know, Ultimately, we make ones that we think are the right decisions for our franchise and the direction we want to go, and ultimately that, we felt, was a, a change in direction we needed to make. But that doesn't put all of the injuries or any of that on, on, on Michael by himself. We feel as a group, we all collectively own those struggles. How do we make it better? The first step to that is finding a, a new direction in one aspect of that part of the department. You said I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you hope the entire coaching staff is back. But like, will Pete Mackey be back as your pitching coach, or is the idea when augmenting to the pitching staff side of things that he'll go back to his original job, you'll look to bring in a new pitching coach? Yeah, no, that's our intention. Pete grew a lot during the course of this year. That He is somebody who we felt really good about a few years ago when we hired him as a coordinator. And he knew a lot of these young pitchers coming up. You know, He was the pitching coordinator when Joe Andoran came into our organization, and he got better and grew and developed. Uh, he saw some of these young pitchers coming through the minor leagues and really helped orchestrate some of their plans. So we're excited about the role. He had to take on a very unorthodox uh, transition during the course of a season. To take the lead role from another coach mid-year is just not that common in our sport, ultimately. And uh, I thought he did an admirable, admirable job. And we checked in with pitchers, and we talked about his growth and development. And they even said during the course of the year, it was different than our previous pitching coach for sure. But we found ways to understand the way he was communicating, the way he navigated this. Our plans and our process we thought were really good at the end of the year, and we feel really good about his growth and his upside as we go forward. Okay, so when you say augment, would you bring in like a co 
pitching coach or like by title Pete is pitching coach and whatever we bring in it'll be a different title yeah I think we've already built around that staff some support staff you certainly have your advanced scouting team you have your uh, people that are working on things behind the scenes and some of the analytics side of it and some of the actual hands-on and eye evaluation we haven't gotten to a place where we finalize the entirety of our coaching staff but if, if there's a deficiency or an opportunity to add somebody with a different set of skills to make that group better that's the way we look at it now it's the same we look at hitting and the same we look at infield and catching and other spaces if you have people that can contribute to those areas from different spaces it isn't just the one singular coach having to own all that at the major league level that's the way we'll operate going forward will you still look for a number one type pitcher and you've tried mm -hmm. right like i look at all the teams still alive zach wheeler right you tried luis castillo probably tried but like and maybe i'm leaping way far ahead right you got to make the playoffs before we start talking about like winning a series ending the 18 game sure. playoff losing streak but i'm still thinking like mally okay good but a game one starter gray good but a game one starter kenta good but a game one starter like i pause on those we still look for that kind of that number one like some guys will be free agents yeah no and no doubt we always talk about those players every free agent cycle they obviously have decisions to make we aren't the only pursuer as you mentioned we've we've made some uh, overtures to a few players along the way and hopefully we haven't found the, the landing one but i will tell you this we're going to stay creative we're going to try to find ways to go we feel we have as deep a pitching group as we roll into an off season with as i think i've had since i've been here uh, in terms of how much depth we have in that group if we can augment it make it better in some ways find a way to impact it we're gonna we're gonna try and find those solutions uh, ultimately we'll see where that takes us through the course of the offseason you said you've already had some talks with Scott about Carlos how would you classify those talks so far I think much like I expected them to be from the offseason into now we knew when we signed that deal in March and got really creative around a contract structure that we would get to the end of the season whenever that was and have this conversation again we recognize there are 29 other clubs that are that are part of this market and part of this business uh, but we continue to stay really open uh, to that dialogue both with Scott and with Carlos we have a tremendous amount of respect for them uh, and hopefully we can find some creative solution here I mean do you anticipate having conversations if it's not Carlos I mean there's a bunch of really really good top-end free agent shortstops could you pivot and go one of those directions, or is it sort of like Carlos or bust? Well, I think in the short term, it's our priority to have the conversation with Carlos. Obviously, with free agency not starting until a handful of days after the World Series, we're not having any of those conversations as of now. Uh, do we need a plan B and C and D and E? Of course, we always need that. And we need to be, the worst thing you can do is be unprepared for the unexpected. And so that's my job now, is to make sure that we're prepared for plan A, but also all of the other plans that follow. And we'll, we'll try and navigate a full off season to get ourselves to a 23 roster that, that Twins fans can be proud of. You've touched on the market being slow moving oftentimes. Have you thought about though, like setting the market, like maybe it didn't work out for Detroit, but I think about last winter, or maybe it was late fall, early winter, <laughs> they signed uh, Rodriguez, right? And okay, didn't necessarily work out for this year, but like, have you thought about, okay, let's go identify one guy. Let's go get that done like before Thanksgiving? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and we've definitely done that at times. So we've made some early offers along the way, thinking that they might get us over the hump. It's really, it takes two parties to work through that process. Some want to see what the market shakes out as. Some want to see what are the other options. Maybe there's another player in the market that they feel is impacting their full understanding of where they could go. So uh, we've been aggressive at times. We've found ways to get into those conversations early. They haven't always worked out in terms of getting to the final finish line. But I would anticipate us having some of those conversations again this year. I'll hit you on some other guys. Miranda, so third base, so 
How does that cloud the decision on Urshela? But Jose can also play some first, but long term, you look at him as your third baseman? Well, I think you nailed it, dude. Yeah, we want to make sure that we keep third base in his mix, certainly for, for because we feel he can play it over there and it gives him additional flexibility. I thought he did a really nice job playing over at first this year when he hadn't had as much experience over there. We want to keep them both in the mix because, as you know, injuries happen, struggles happen, things happen over time, you know, guys get to free agency. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out as we get through the remainder of the offseason. Jorge Polanco, would you move him back to short at all if it didn't work out with Carlos? Like, how do you how do you look at Jorge, who I think he was your MVP in 21, or at least the case can be made MVP in 21. It was a struggle this year for Jorge. Yeah, he had a he had a he had a great year last year, and he had a tough year toward the end of this year, battling through some of his own physical ailments. And at the end of the day, that that, that shut him down at the end of the season. But we didn't see the best of Jorge this year, no question. I think our focus would be on remaining at second base with him. But he's always told us he's you know kept the shortstop uh, bag in the mix, you know. So he he's someone that's going to go out and do whatever we ask of him. That's who he is. Uh, but at the end of the day, hopefully we can we're able to keep him at second base. And then arise. Swiss Army knife, play at multiple yeah. positions because the key is just getting him as many at-bats as possible. I think that's it. I think at the end of the day, we know his bat, you know, American League batting champion this year, a pretty cool thing to have another one in the Twins organization now following a long line of some great hitters. But for him to go play, to stay healthy, to be on the field as much as possible, I think the balance of some DH to play some at first, to play some at second, was a benefit for him. And at the end of the day, we'll probably approach next season in a similar way. We'll have to see how this offseason shakes out. How's Buxton doing following the knee surgery? He's doing great. He'll be back up here for another check-in, but the first go-round of this has been really positive for him. He's in his rehab uh, plan. Hopefully we're getting here soon to the, the offseason where he gets into some normalcy, uh, but so far so good. Hopefully this knocked out some of the challenge he was dealing with. Now we get to get prepared for the plan and the rehab plan through the course of the winter to make him as strong as he can be going into next year. Some of the other guys coming back from surgery. Kirilov, what's the update on Alex? Yeah, Alex hasn't begun the full progression into hitting yet, so we don't have a full sense of where that's going as of today, uh, but we fully expect once he gets into hitting, we'll have a much better sense. He feels good. Everything's gone well so far, but he hasn't gotten into full baseball activity yet. Royce? Royce is in the same boat. ACL, you know, return. He's in rehab stages. He was up here uh, for those who saw him here in Minnesota. Uh, he's chopping at the bit to get out there and do more, you know, ultimately. And we always have to slow Royce down to some degree. But so far, so good. The return from the ACL surgery looks as good as, as we would hope. On Chris Paddock, so he went on the record with, with us saying mid-August, late-August, that's like 15 months from the surgery date. But I know timelines can be weird, right? I mean, Trevor Larnick, six weeks, turned into sure. whatever. So I get that. But does that surprise you that Paddock is saying August, not like June? Yeah, so I think the reality is Tommy John returns are more dictated by the surgeon that, that did some of the work. Uh, and sometimes they set a, t a target date that can change, as you just mentioned. So I think what we need to do is just partner with the surgeon, understand the return timeline, see how he's feeling ultimately, and how he's feeling may allow us to progress that a little bit more quickly. But at this stage, we want to make sure that we're respectful of the timeline of the surgeon who decided, given it's his second Tommy John to make sure that he's coming back at the appropriate time. What can you do now with Fort Myers? I mean, you touched on it off camera, but is the idea to have some guys up here for a while? Like, you guys are doing some other stuff with with Lee County Sports Complex where it's probably hard to do a bunch of stuff on field in the weight room down in Fort Myers. Am I, am I right in assessing that situation? Yeah, in some ways I'm really glad we started our player development instructional league as early as we did this year. We started it much earlier than we normally would have and we got a lot of work done in the early portion of September. As soon as we knew that storm was coming, we felt the most prudent thing to do was to send everybody home and we were really thankful we did that when that, that storm took a turn. Obviously Fort Myers has been hit really hard. That's our home away from home. That's our second home you know, there in Fort Myers. 
and we feel for all the people and everyone that's dealing with, with challenges down there to property and loss of life, of course. Uh, that's the primary. We're using Lee County Sports Complex right now to provide meals to people in the area, to house first responders and people who are aiding in the recovery efforts. I'm proud of that as an organization that we were able to do that. We will not focus on baseball there, right there at that location now. We can utilize this field right now at Target Field for some of our rehab, for some of our younger guys, some of the young players going out in the fall league. Most of our minor league players are home now. So we'll utilize Target Field and our, our other affiliates should we need to in the short term here in order to get ourselves uh, get ourselves rehabbed and back. How do you look at pressure? I mean, there's pressure every day in mm -hmm. your job, but like you've seen, you know, people across the game, the Daniels, you know, the Avillas, the Moors in Kansas City. I mean, it's almost like you get hired to eventually be fired unless you're one of the lucky few, right? <laughs> but like next year, does the pressure ramp up that much more that you can't really go a third consecutive year with it being a down year? You know, no one puts more pressure on themselves than I do in that conversation. This isn't about the, the poll ads or, or, or Twins fans or otherwise. I want to do well. I want to make sure that we're putting ourselves in the best position. The only way I know how to do that is do the best job I can every day I wake up and try and put ourselves in the best position to win. We feel we have depth. We feel we have a good minor league system. We feel like we're built in a good direction. Um, and hopefully we can achieve exactly what we hope to achieve this year, which we didn't. Uh, and ultimately we'll get to Fort Myers in February doing just that. What do you now know about this job that you didn't know what, October of 16 you were hired yeah. in November? I mean, yeah. it's now been six full years. Yeah, a lot. How much time you got? I mean, at some point, uh, there's so many things you do learn. I think the thing you come to learn over time, you appreciate more and more, is just how much impact you feel the team can make in the environment, in your community, and how much it can rally a, a whole a whole region. And that's the goal, right? That we get focused on our own, everyone in all walks of life, get focused on your own individual job and what that means to you and, and your personal family. I've come to really appreciate Twins Territory the fans around here, the support we have as an organization, and I want to make sure that we put our team in the best position to succeed for all of them. When do you get to escape? I mean, <laughs> there's so many decisions to be made. Yeah. Next thing you know, it'll be the winter meetings. Return to some sense of normalcy, right, with that. But like, do you get a chance to escape for a week or two? You know, when you sign up for this job, you don't really. <laughs> so I think you know that. Uh, so hopefully around the holidays and around uh, Christmas time and seeing some family will be great. I remember last year, it was the night before Thanksgiving and we were on a Zoom with Byron Buxton trying to finalize our deal. Uh, so I'll tell you, I used to think Thanksgiving was a decent time too for it to slow down, but I guess that's not the case. We'll, we'll keep working to try and make it better and I, I do make sure that I prioritize my family at the right times. So. I'm just telling you though, like free agency is a thing at Thanksgiving. Like there are teams <laughs> looking to do some stuff Trades are a thing then. You don't have to wait until the winter meetings. All right, that's, <laughs> I, that's what I'm I saying. Like sometimes. Thanksgiving, it maybe makes some sense, but like that's go time in my world, I think. Yeah, I, I wish there were some more opportunities to, to move a little more quickly in every offseason. I feel like it's gotten slower and slower as things go on. There's a lot of reasons for that, but I can, I can tell you, it's not for lack of phone calls and effort. <laughs> at, at some point, you are trying to get things done. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't line up till we get a little closer to some of those deadlines. Twins President of Operations, Derek Falvey. I appreciate his access. While I was talking with Derek, we did it on the field at Target Field. Jorge Alcala was throwing in the outfield. He'll be good to go come next spring training. When going up and down the list of injured guys, he sometimes is forgotten. But he has a chance to be a high-level reliever next year. All right, let's now transition to the Vikings. I spent some time in the locker room on Thursday, some quickie conversations. Let's begin with linebacker Eric Kendricks. How great are the vibes right now at 4-1? Pretty high. I mean, we got we got work to do this week. I mean, we're, I mean, 
think we're beyond our record at this point. We got to do what we got to do. You know, obviously, we've done good things to put ourselves in this situation, but um, we got to continue to do that this week. What are the challenges this week? Miami has what an eight-game yeah. home winning streak going. I didn't know that. Um, so obviously, challenges playing in them at home. You know, we're away this week. Uh, obviously, they can spread the field with all the speed they have, and um, you know, they have dynamic a- athletes that play for them. Not like the heat's going to get to you having played at UCLA, but it's been a minute since uh, you guys have played 87, 80 degree like, weather, yeah, right? I haven't been in UCLA. I haven't been in LA in shoot. I mean, I haven't played in LA since. I mean, we played the Rams probably or Chargers or something like that. But uh, you know, I'm a Minnesota boy now, so um, yeah, you know, I got, I got, I got, I got to get, get ready for the heat. For the heat, you know, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's going to be too hot. We'll see. 87, but, uh, 88, but like to me, maybe like week one last year, Cincinnati might be the last time you guys played in a really hot game. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, same thing, you got to hydrate, you got to get prepared for it as much as you can. But, um, you know, he's got to weather the storm, I guess. Are you one that like goes in the sauna this week just to prepare? Yeah. Like Ed was telling me the sauna. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get in the sauna a little bit, you know, just get used to the, used to the heat, I guess, in a, in a certain way, but you can't replicate it. You know, he's got to be be ready for it in the, in the mind and then uh, let your body follow, follow. What are the interesting challenges facing a rookie quarterback? Um, shoot, you don't know what we're, we don't know what we're gonna get. You know, obviously they have a game plan uh, in the past couple games, and they have they have offensive schemes that they like in the run game and things like that. But we really don't know what to expect. So, um, you know, we're gonna be playing uh, just playing football. Most start. I mean, he's on the injury report, but presuming he plays on Sunday, I mean, he's had some good games against you guys in the past, right? Yeah, he's patient, patient back. Um, you know, uh, good athlete, very slippery. So, uh, gotta get him down. We transition from one linebacker to another, although I'm still getting used to calling Daniil Hunter a linebacker. He's an outside linebacker in the 3-4, no longer a defensive end in the 4-3. Here's my quickie conversation with Daniil Hunter. You told me last week the sacks would come. Well, one did come, so does one like soon equal two, three, four? Like, is it a snowball effect now? I mean... You could do 100 rushes and you could have one sack. Or you could do 100 rushes and have 10 or whatever. But, you know, if, if people are keying in on one person, it opens up room for other people. So, you know, we just stick with the game plan and, and go do what we got to do out there. So that's how you feel that, hey, like so much attention is being paid to you, it frees up others to do what they're doing? It's not necessarily just me alone, you know, because it's not all about me. I mean, we're winning football games and we still haven't had our best game yet. So that's how it goes. How great is the vibe at 4-1 and one here? Oh, it's a good vibe, you know. Uh, we haven't been this winning since a long time, so we're good about it. And we deep down, we know we still haven't played our best game. And is some of that just you getting more comfortable in the 3-4? Uh, I mean, you could put it that way. You know, we're still, like, trying to figure ourselves out. But as time goes on, we'll get more and more comfortable. How long do you think that takes? I mean, could that take an entire season to really get comfortable with this switch? Uh, people, people usually get in mid-season form by midseason, so, but like I said, it takes more time and practice, and sooner or later we'll, we'll be in that form. We'll bounce all around because we'll get back to defense in a second, but now to the offense, left tackle Christian Darisaw. Think about it, this time last year, he wasn't playing. He did not play until later in October, that game at Carolina. Since entering the starting lineup last year, middle of the season, that game at Carolina, he has been off the charts good. There was a central theme I wanted to hit him with. I told him three questions. So here's a quickie conversation with Christian Darasaw. The art of the pancake block yeah. and how much pride do you take in pancaking an opponent? Uh, it's definitely something that we try to go out there and uh, just be aggressive and physical on every play. Um, so, like, when it happens, 
Uh, you kind of admire it, but going on to the next play. I mean, how challenging is it, though? I mean, just think about the strength of some of the guys that you're blocking, like to be able to put them down on the ground like that. How challenging is that? Uh, very challenging. And that's why uh, kind of you really don't see too many of them. But when you kind of get somebody on the ground, um, it's kind of like a, a, a very exciting moment. And just know on to the next play, really. So, yeah. Last one, how satisfied are you with your level of play? It's at a very high level right now. Uh, definitely very satisfied. Um, there's still some things I can improve on and work on to take it even to a, like another higher level. Uh, but I feel like I've been playing very well. I mean, what is that next level? I mean, to me, you're top two, top three right now in the NFL. What is the next level? I just feel like there's some things I can correct in my technique um, just to make everything just like, like really perfect when I'm out there. And, and I feel like there's some room for improvement. And I'm still taking those steps. From Derisaw to the star, well, the guy who decided the game last Sunday certainly made a play there at the end to seal the deal for the Vikings. According to PFF, he's been very good for the Vikings so far through five games. He is cornerback Cam Dantzler Sr. Hey, when you have the swag you do, does it matter no, yeah, man. what your hair looks like? How much yeah. did your swag level go up after Sunday? I mean, my swag level always been high, you know, the beginning of the season. It's just, it's, I feel like it's at the same, just, you know, the confidence level went up a little bit, you know. But I'm still, I feel like I'm the same person. Have you been able to pinpoint why the swag was gone last year and how you regained it? I mean, I can, but I don't really want to, you know, speak on it. But, you know, I just, I'm just blessed to have, a, you know, a new opportunity, a new staff, and just be able to, um, you know, show my talents and what I can do. Was it more physical or mental or a combination of both? It was more of a mental than a physical game. I find the physical game was always there for me. It's kind of a uh, mental thing last year than this year, so the comparisons are really just a mental thing. Through these five games, just how satisfied are you? I mean, not just last Sunday, but your level of play so far through these five games is at a very high level. Yeah, I feel I'm not, I'm not satisfied. I can't get satisfied until we put the ring on our finger. But at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, I've been progressing slowly each and every week, and I just have to get better each and every day. And Show it on Sunday. Did you look at this year as a make or break year when they take Andrew Booth Jr. as high as they do in the draft? Did you look at it like that? No, not at all. I was I was very excited when we got Andrew Booth. You know, um, he brought the swagger, the fire that we needed in the DB room. So I was glad to have him. But never really seen it as a the way most people seen it. Just you know, I was just very excited to have somebody you know like him to um, be a part of the Vikings. Are there unique challenges playing? I think at game time on Sunday it'll be 87 or 88 degrees. That's pretty hot. South, so you know that's that's not new to me. You know, I'm still adjusting to the cold. To be honest, so it was like Green Bay, negatives, even different story. But I'm from the south, so I feel like that's not going to change anything. But it's been a little while. Maybe going back to like Week One last year, Cincinnati. But it's been a while since you've played in a hot weather game, right? We just got to hydrate and just do the little things this week and just get um, prepared to play on Sunday. How good is Tyreek Hill? He's a great receiver, very fast, very crafty. You know, you got to keep eyes on him and, you know, play with um, Coach Duntell, call him, make plays. Unique challenge of facing a rookie quarterback, but at least there's some tape on him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we um, really watched a lot of the Jets game because that's the game he played a lot and just, you know, just see some of the things that he likes to do, some of his strengths and weaknesses, and just, you know, take advantage of those things. What are his strengths? Um, his strengths, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's um, a very good quarterback. He gets um, scramble. He's always looking downfield to make the big play. So we just got to, you know, um, plaster our receiver and just don't give up the big play. We go back to the offense. He scored his first touchdown as a Viking last Sunday. It is punt returner slash wide receiver Jalen Rager. How satisfying was touchdown number one here? 
Um, it was a great experience. It was fun, you know, just looking the back door and do it again. Yeah, I mean, the play design seemed to be brilliant. Just mm. speak to that, how great a play design that was. Um, that's just Coach KO and the staff, the offensive staff, just, you know, putting me in best position to do what I do best and, uh, you know, just using me correctly. I mean, you do a lot of things right. well, right, though? So how do you define what you do best? Um, just with the ball in my hands, honestly. So, you know, whether it be open field, short field, anything, you know, close quarters, downfield, just, you know, trying to hone in on – because, you know, you have the other guys in the offense too, so it's just where I fit in right now. So, you know, once my role expands, then that's where – other dynamics of the offense come in. But right now, you know, that's just what, you know, that's been a trend. You see your role, though, expanding even more? Absolutely. Like, what does it look like when it expands? Just the more I know. The more I know in the offense, the more I can do. So, How hard is it to grasp no. the entirety of this offense? It's not It's not hard now that I've been here for a minute. So it's, I'm, get, I'm getting it, like, every week. So it's it's pretty common now. I'm, pretty, I'm picking up the game plans faster. You think it's challenging for Kevin, though, to find a way to get the ball into all the playmakers' hands? No, because his offense is wide open, so it's pretty much open for everybody. So, I mean, just now that you've been here for, you know, many, many weeks through five games, mm -hmm. just really enjoying your experience here? Yeah, yeah, I, I love it here. Yeah, just being around the people, you know, the camaraderie of this team, the staff, uh, from people upstairs. It's been a great experience for sure. Happy to be here. Do you see your snaps on offense just keep going up? So, like, maybe we'll see you on the field even more Sunday compared to last Sunday? Um, I mean, that's that's ultimately not up to me, but, I mean, I would like that. But, you know, like I said, that's just me doing when I do get in make the plays. So that's what, you know, that one play I got in for the game, that I made sure that I wasn't going to be denied. So. Finally, from my time in the Vikings locker room this week, it's a conversation with starting right guard, rookie Ed Ingram. Let's continue the theme of progress reports. So now that we're through five games. Mm -hmm. What stands out about your play? I mean that I'm getting better every every game, and so I'm just elevating, and I'm starting to get way more comfortable in the NFL. And uh, I mean, I'm excited to see what's going forward. When you say way more comfortable, what do you now know about being a starting guard in the NFL that maybe you didn't even know just even a few weeks ago? Just about how, how fast everything is, and like how some teams attack, um, like uh, like younger guys on the on the offense, just because we haven't been in the league as long, so we don't know as much stuff. But I mean, I've, I've been taking it on myself and uh and just doing it i mean just doing my job and the team's been noticing it so i'm just got to keep going what did the bears try to do to exploit you i mean they know that in pass rush that um i would get beat inside a lot so they always they kept trying to attack me inside and uh i kind of knew that going into the game so i kind of knew what to expect is that something that you're expecting this sunday with the dolphins probably probably will get the same thing all season until you know i start like really locking it down and Showing guys that um, I mean, they can't really mess with me in the past past game. How challenging is it to lock that down, though? How much of a challenge is it? It's not much of a challenge if if I just have like the best technique. Um, I've always been working on like trying to critique my pass sets and stuff like that, and just kind of being consistent with it. So the more consistent I can be, the easier it is. Game time at one o'clock, I guess one o'clock Miami time on Sunday, 87, 88 degrees. But considering you know LSU and all that, playing in heat probably not a big deal to you. Yeah, this is not a big deal, but I haven't played in heat in a minute, but I'm kind of excited to go out there and just see like how everything is. I've been getting in the sauna and stuff, trying to get my lungs and body right for it. Is that something you do on your own, or is that something the team recommended, hey, go in the sauna? Yeah, it's, it's something the team recommended just because um, we haven't played in a, a humid environment like that, and it's hot, and over here it's complete opposite of Florida right now, so we got to get our bodies right for the game. Is there anything you do Sunday pregame, pickle juice, or anything along those lines? 
I used to drink like pickle juice like game day. So like right during breakfast, I grab like a pickle juice, um, some drip drop and stuff like that to kind of stay hydrated. You feel like Dalvin is on the cusp of a long run, like a 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 yard run? Yeah, he definitely is. We, we're right there. If we just keep keep doing our jobs and allow him to do his job and let him do his thing, uh, it's going to be a fun season. Yeah, I mean, he's had three games where he's been 90 plus. He just hasn't cracked that 100 yard mark yet. He's going to get it, though. He's a great running back. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for him. And um, as a teammate, he's kind of, he welcomed me with open arms and stuff like that. So I'm excited to see him going forward. How great is just the vibe overall here with you guys being four and one? The vibe is good. I mean, everybody knows that, like, um, like we're still working on everything that we're trying to get in our offense, um, that all our players, we all bought in, and we want to – we know what we're capable of moving forward. And so we're just trying to, like, just everybody focus and just do your jobs, win your one-on-ones every game, and uh, that's how we're going to win. I'll leave you with this. How is just adjusting to life now that you've lived here in the Twin Cities for – you know, four or five months. Are you getting adjusted to living here? Yeah, uh, I mean, I got a place and stuff like that. So um, I guess the only difference right now is the, the coldness. I mean, when I was in Louisiana, if I was in Louisiana right now, it would be 89 degrees, probably humid. And now it's like 40-something out here. So that's a big difference. But on your off day Tuesday, it was pretty darn nice. Did you get outside on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, I got outside Tuesday. It was a little windy, but it was it was chilly outside. It was a, a beautiful day out there. So what do you do on a day off? What What fills up your time? I mean, I usually just play the game, uh, watch some film, play the game, go to the movies, just do something to kind of decompress from football. <laughs> With all of Miami's injuries, there is a realistic chance now. Hey, we've seen the Vikings pull, heck, victory from the jaws of defeat multiple times already this year, including, hey, Detroit was up double digits, right? So, like, we know the Vikings can lose, but with Miami so banged up, even with that eight-game home winning streak, there is an opportunity for the Vikings to win that game. I think the Vikings can beat Arizona on October 30th. DeAndre Hopkins expected back then. The suspension is over, so no guarantees. But, like, and then you go to Washington, like, they could be 7-1, and 7-1 and one like they were in 98, like in 09, very, very favorable schedule. I'm still not convinced this is a great Vikings team, but hey, all you can do is play the schedule in front of you. You never need to apologize for winning. There is an opportunity for the Vikings to surely get to double-digit wins. All right, we'll wrap up this milestone episode of The Scoop. Milestone only by number, nothing unique about this episode. I was over at St. Thomas Men's Basketball Practice recently. They opened their season, their second season, in Division One, November 7th at Creighton. How about that for a nice non-conference game? Then later in November, a non-conference game at Utah. So non-conference games at Creighton at Utah. Johnny Tower has been the men's basketball coach for over 10 years. Let's begin our conversations at Tommy's basketball practice with the head coach, Johnny Tower. Johnny, you've been practicing for a while. Heck, you had access to these guys, what, a little bit even like in the summer? You know, there are some NCAA limitations, but like even going back to the summer, how excited are you as we ramp up to November and the schedule kicking in? Yeah, it's awesome. This time of year, there's nothing quite like the anticipation of another season. And, you know, I think we have a good group of veterans coming back. We've got some newcomers. And so uh, for year two in Division One, um, we couldn't be more excited. We've got a great schedule. Um, the guys are working hard. And it just it's so much fun to be in the gym. How much different are things right now compared to, let's say, if we talked on October 4th or 5th or 6th last year, heading into year one. How much different are things right now? Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, you go from 
everything to travel and logistics, which last year was the first time through playing a number of teams just within the conference who we had not played. Um, but then you look at our roster, we lost five guys who were really instrumental to so much of our success the last four years, bring back two fifth-year seniors in Riley Miller and Parker Bjorklund, but then also add in four freshmen. And so there's, it, it's a new feeling in the gym. The veterans we had last year I thought were so instrumental um, to what we had done in Division Three, and also that transition year. And so, you know, I, I think Phil Eston, our athletic director, is so great at creating a vision of how we're trying to build this year over year and I think this should be step two in that journey. How have you evolved as a Division One coach now that you're two years into it? Yeah well I'll tell you the, the probably the biggest challenges are all the stuff off the court right the reality is 94 by 50 feet like the court's the same it's not like there's magical plays our conference is great the coaches are great uh, we travel to a lot of different places and so I think you know for me it's been one of those chances of a lifetime right where I've been at St. Thomas for 23 years coaching and so to get to do this and we've got a staff our staff is much larger than it used to be recruiting is different so there are a lot of changes but it's all exciting stuff where I really feel like I'm getting to grow as a coach and a person um, I think the thing that's stayed the same is our commitment to recruiting really top student athletes and our guys are just as serious as they always have been in the classroom. I think sometimes that's a, a misconception about Division One. Uh, certainly some of them are taller than we've had previously, but um, you know, coming to work here every day in an institution you believe in, um, that stuff has never wavered. And so uh, certain areas I feel like I'm, I'm learning a ton and then other areas it's like this is, you know, this is the school I went to, this is where I've been for so long. And so it's just, it's such a, I mean, really an opportunity of a lifetime. So how many new assistant coaches? I know there were some coming and goings, right? Well, so if you look dating back to last year, um, Mike Maker, Cameron Rundles, and then Kenny Lowe joined our staff this, this past uh, summer. Um, Kenny was the two-time defensive player of the year at Purdue in the Big Ten. Unbelievable professional career. Cameron played at De La Salle, won a state title, led Wofford to the tournament twice, um, and also had an incredible professional career. And then Mike Maker, who's coached 35 years in college basketball and been all over the country, um, been a Division One head coach. And so those guys are incredible, better people than coaches. And it really, so to me, to have those guys, and then Josh Rodenbiker, who are, is our director of ops and has been with us dating back to his time as a student here. This is his 12th year all told, um, more than anything, when you're recruiting kids and you feel like this is a staff that truly cares about the players as human beings first and foremost, not to mention their knowledge and experience, uh, you know, it's, I think we've got a really special group. You touched on the freshman class. How special is this freshman class? Well, you got to prove it on the court in games, but at least from what we've seen and on paper and the opportunity to get them to come to St. Thomas and, and to really invest and buy into being you know, the first big group, right? Last year we had two freshmen who came, um, but you know, Ajani Lee brings a, a presence in the paint, his rebounding, his shot blocking, and he's just an incredibly inquisitive, curious young man. Uh, Carter Bjorke, another state champ. So both them won state championships, right, at Wyzetta and Totino Grace. And Carter is one of those really skilled bigs who creates all sorts of problems for the defense. Kendall Blue's a versatile wing from East Ridge who you know, his passing is probably, all these guys pass the ball well. Kendall's passing, I think, is really stellar. Um, and then Andrew Rohde was runner-up Mr. Basketball in Wisconsin, and he's another 6'6 guard. And so, you know, we, we joke that the five guys who graduated last year, I actually looked down and could look down at them, and the four guys we brought in, I'm looking up at. Uh, but I think the thing these four guys all have is that youthful exuberance. They're so excited about college, not just playing basketball, but really to embrace the whole campus community. Uh, they love playing 
playing with each other. I think their teammates really enjoy them. And like I said before, I think their passing ability and their unselfishness, all the accolades that they came in with, to me, that's the greatest thing and the most exciting thing is to see what we can build here. Those four guys are going to be a huge part of it. And right away, not that you need to announce your starting lineup with a game now, what, a month out, the game at Creighton, but like all four should play right away? I think all the freshmen have a chance to play. You know, you never know. A lot can happen in the next month. But when you look at our depth chart, and we've traditionally played a lot of guys, so I would hope this year we're playing 9, 10, 11 guys and probably be a little deeper than we were last year, more physical. We may not shoot it as well. I mean, last year we, we led the country in fewest turnovers. We were top five and most made three-point shots. So we had a really skilled team that wasn't as big. I think this year it may not look quite as aesthetically pleasing on offense, but I think we're going to have more size both on the wings and inside. And um, So, yeah, I think all four of those guys have a chance to contribute. Is that where you miss Anders a little bit, where it's just it's the nature of Division One basketball, right? The portal. There's 2,000 names in there every year, so it was inevitable that you were going to have a player enter the portal, but is that a guy you'll miss? Oh, I think Anders, I mean, he arguably one of the greatest players we've had in the history of St. Thomas. When you look at what he did in four years, and some of that was marred by COVID, right? So when you, when you think back to what could have been, had we not had COVID, had we stayed Division Three, I think he would have ended up being one of the most decorated players that we've ever had here. But I think what guys like him and Riley Miller did last year, jumping from Division Three to Division One, the way they handled the ball, the way they really were not uh, taken out of their game. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Ryan Lindbergh and Bert Hedstrom. I mean, those four guys really started together for four years. Um, won a, a tremendous number of games, but probably more than that, just played a style. You know, when we talk about St. Thomas basketball, I really feel like those four guys embodied it. And so, you know, Anders, I think he's going to have an unbelievable year at William and Mary. Um, and he, he really, when you when you talk about what he brought to this program. Um, his freshman year, he stepped in, he was the National Freshman of the Year in Division Three, and to cap it the way he did and um, all the things in between was, uh, was a special for me to be a part of. Schedule. I love the schedule. At Creighton, at Utah, I don't know how much you love it, but you're certainly challenging yourself. It, you love it now on November 7th when there's 18,500 screaming fans at Creighton. We, it, it, that will be, a, a, I think, really one of those special experiences our guys will always remember, you know. And so when we put the schedule together, and Coach Maker is huge in doing that, uh, it takes a lot because there's, there's so many moving pieces. Division three, we had five games, and usually four of them were kind of set for us in terms of regular rivalries that we played. Now you're talking about 13 games, and you're trying to juggle class schedule, minimizing missed class. You're looking at home games. You're looking at who are the peer institutions we'd like to play, and all these things that go into it. And it's kind of like there's one of those Sudoku puzzles. And so to get to play Creighton on opening night, I, I look at what their program has done over the last 20 to 25 years. Urban, Catholic, Midwest University, and you know Coach McDermott and everything they've accomplished there. You know, For us, that's gonna be just both humbling but also an incredible opportunity to see, all right, what is it gonna take for us to gradually advance throughout the ranks of Division I? And that's certainly a baptism by fire. I know it's not on the schedule this year, probably won't be next year, but like at some point you have to play the Gophers, right? And I'm guessing like you'd embrace that, unfortunately, you know, and Thor's your guy, Ben's your guy, my guys too, right? But they just, they don't want to play you, but how much would you love to play them one day? We'd love to play the Gophers. I mean, we would. They're, I understand and there's a lot that goes into scheduling and, and Ben and Dave and their whole staff, they're great guys. They're doing a tremendous job. And so, you know, at the end of the day, we would love to play them but we control our schedule, right? And our 13 games, and they have their schedule. And there's a lot, more than 
I don't say this to trivialize anything, more than most people on the outside understand, there's probably eight or 10 variables that you're trying to juxtapose and, and balance throughout a non-conference schedule. Um, but yeah, we'd love to play them someday. Hopefully it'll happen. Picture with one more. So Rody, so you mentioned the three kids from, from here, but Rody, like, you said it right, Mr. Basketball, run up Mr. Basketball. Like, that kid was, what, top 100 in the country, right? Like, how did you get that kid? He, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. His brother Sam played for us for a year, a little over a year. Um, really good player out of Brookfield Central. He's now working for Amazon in the Twin Cities, got a great job. So he graduated from St. Thomas um, a little over a year ago. Um, no Andrews family well. Ben Now, who's a sophomore from Brookfield Central, that was his high school teammate. So it's one of those, you know, there's a confluence of variables that come together. But, you know, I think we knew about Andrew at a young age, and really we, we look at how he plays. And he, there's no doubt, I think he was a little under the radar, but uh, the way he plays, he's unselfish, he's skilled, he can shoot it, he guards. Um, so I think our, our fans know more about the three Minnesota freshmen, but I think. Andrew from Wisconsin is going to be a pleasant surprise as well. Great guy, great coach. Johnny Tower, St. Thomas, Tommy's men's basketball. Yeah, I get it. The Gophers have pretty much everything to lose, really nothing to gain to win. But how great would it be for the state of basketball here in Minnesota to have the Gophers against the Tommies at some point? But yeah, it's not happening Next year, don't know if it'll ever happen with Ben Johnson as head coach. But hey, all we can do is push forward our wishes. Maybe at some point the Gophers say, okay, but you heard it from Johnny. The Tommies are all in on a possibility of playing the Gophers at some point. All right, let's continue our Tommies conversations. True freshman Johnny Lee from Byron. He played his last year of high school at Totino Grace. Uh, Johnny, how's the adjustment going so far? I mean, anytime you jump high school to college, there's an adjustment. How's the adjustment going for you? Um, I think it's going pretty well. We've been here for about a month now. Uh, I'm starting to get used to basketball in class. It's a lot different than high school. Uh, so I'm getting used to the different practice times, the longer, more excruciating practices. And then uh, trying to get my homework done. I've got like set times for that. And then all my other things I need to get done. So I think I'm, I'm doing pretty well now. On the basketball side, everything you've experienced so far, just affirm your decision. You certainly had options. You ultimately chose to be a Tommy, but everything you've experienced so far, justify your decision to be a Tommy? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't really ask for more. I can't say it's what I expected, but it's better than what I expected, to be honest. Coming into college, I wasn't very scared. Uh, and then I uh, kind of shook life into me, but my teammates and my coaches have been here to guide me throughout uh, my trials and endeavors. So I'm enjoying it and they're supporting me. What has surprised you so far about the experience? Um, coming into college, I thought I was going to be the man. Uh, coming here, I, I realized like everybody's just as good as I am, if not better. And with the added year or two of experience everybody else has, I guess my biggest surprise was um, how hard it is to play how, or I guess fighting the urge to play how I used to play and doing what the team needs me to do. Is there a sense, though, as we ramp up to that opener, that game at Creighton, that over the next month you'll start to figure things out more and you'll be able to contribute right away? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like even right now in practice, not just me, but everybody has been uh, kind of slowly finding their ways of how what they need to do this year to help the team and help us win. Um, me, I've, I feel like I've, I'm confident on what I need to do and I know everything by my position to help the team uh, where we are now. 
How has your game grown since we last saw you on the court at Totino? Um, well, I feel like I'm more of a dominant presence inside. I'm starting to go up for more more blocks than I was. Uh, I kind of went away as I got older in high school, but now I feel like I'm kind of getting back to it. And I've been focusing a lot more on my defense because coming into college, I mean, it's hard for anybody to be an offensive presence right away. So I figured if I can't do that right away, I might as well focus more on defense. How star-studded is this freshman class with you included? But there's four of you that can play at a very high level. Um, I think, I mean, in my opinion, obviously I'm biased. I think we're one of the best in the nation. I mean, we've got the three of us from here in the cities. Carter, in my opinion, best shooter in the Midwest. Kendall, super versatile, long. He, he's getting a lot better at defense. Not that he wasn't already good at it, but he's getting a lot better now and quicker, and he can jump higher. And his shot's just looking a lot better than what I saw in high school. He's really getting into his own. And uh, Andrew, I mean, he's Swiss Army knife. Uh, in my opinion, like the summer, I'd say I feel like he's the best out of us freshmen right now. I mean, he came in with all of his confidence. He, he didn't drop off anything from high school coming into college. And right now, he's one of our best scorers, it looks like. How is Coach Tower using you? I mean, is the idea that you're going to guard fives or guard fours? Um, well, right now, it looks like it's more dependent on the lineup we have in. So he knows and he lets me like talk and decide what I want to do in ball screens. So if I feel comfortable enough, which I usually do, I can switch with the guard. But then I also have to think of mismatches. So we go over a lot of different defenses. So yesterday we practiced a lot of hard hedges. Um, so it's really ultimately my decision when it comes to it. I can either hedge hard, hedge flat, or switch. It's He, he leaves a lot of decision in my, my hands. I'll leave you with this. How excited are you with the schedule? I mentioned that first game at Creighton, but Utah is also on the non-conference. The conference schedule will be fun, too, in the Summit League, but like the non-conference schedule, that's going to be fun, huh? Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, uh, in AAU, I didn't get to travel much because of COVID, but now we get to travel all over, it feels like, and we get to play really good teams, teams that uh, are known for being good and they made it to the tournament and for us a uh, second year d1 school who's not allowed to go to the tournament yet it's good to see this kind of competition so we know what to expect when we can go to the tournament the tommies are picked to finish eighth in the summit league in the preseason poll oral roberts picked to win the conference our final conversation from being over at st thomas practice is with carter bierke from yz high school he'll play some forward he'll play some center he is an elite shooter i am convinced he was the best shooter in the state high school wise last year that will translate to the summit league this kid can shoot the lights out it is carter bierke carter we spoke soon after you committed here at yz high school you were wide-eyed you were super excited now that you've been living this college life the experience being a Tommy how is it it's been awesome it's been just what I expected from the coaching all the way down to the teammates the school everything's been phenomenal here and I can't I can't say enough about my experience so far is it a big adjustment though like just even for a conventional student high school to college is a big adjustment then you add on all these demands like how's that going oh absolutely I mean I've never lived by myself before and college is a whole new change so it's just been it's been a struggle a little bit the first couple weeks to get into a routine, find what, I, what I'm good at, what's working, what's not. But after I've got the hang of it these last couple of weeks, everything's been great and I've been settling in well, making a lot of friends at school, class has been good and practice has been great as well. So, Have you been hitting the weight room pretty good? You look noticeably bigger to me. Yeah, yeah, we, we have team lifts three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at 8 a.m. So we're all in the gym and we've been hitting the weight, weights pretty hard. 
we're looking to make a statement this year. So, I mean, are there noticeable gains on your end? Like, have you added noticeable muscle? Yeah, I mean, my um, my maxes on my uh, bench and other exercises have gone up significantly since we've started lifting as a team. So, yeah, we're I can't praise the weight staff enough and all the all the staff really just helping out. They've done a great job with us. We're all gaining a lot of muscle and getting a lot stronger. How do you fit into Coach Tower's offense? I think I fit in very well. I can stretch the floor to however they need. I can play down low too if they need me to. I can guard bigger guys with my, my size and strength. So just whatever the Coach Tower needs me to do, I'm willing to do. But your calling card, it's been that for a while, is just that three-point shot, right? Like, I was just telling Coach Tower, to me, you were the best shooter in the state last year. So to me, that'll translate instantly to the Summit League. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, that is probably my best ability is that ability to knock down threes when I'm open. And that'll definitely serve the team a purpose as when I can space it out, set pick and rolls up high, and then pop, have the guards the ability to drive the lane, take a shot, or to kick it out to me and me be able to knock down a three-pointer. I'll leave you with this, just the star-studded freshman class with you included. You and Johnny, I was told, are roommates, mm -hmm. you know, Kendall and then Andrew. Mm -hmm. I'm just learning about Andrew, but I hear so many good things. Like, this is a rock-solid freshman class, is it not? Oh, absolutely. All four of us freshmen are really good basketball players. We're looking to come here, make an impact on the team, and put the state on, put the state on notice. The Tommy should be fun to watch this year. Always appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful weekend. This has been Milestone episode number 400. Although the idea was not to do anything differently than we've done the first 399 episodes. Be on the lookout this weekend for episode 401. Wolves owner Glenn Taylor, ESPN NBA reporter slash analyst Brian Windhorst. He was recently in town to spend some time with the Wolves, so he has extra intimate knowledge about the Wolves to drop. So that'll be episode 401 sometime this weekend. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Stay safe. Stay sane.